If you are looking to elevate your leadership and drive your nonprofit forward, I invite you to subscribe to the Successful Nonprofits newsletter. Every week, I curate exclusive shareworthy content that sparks inspiration, innovation, and conversation. From the latest trends to timeless advice, the weekly email newsletter is your all-access pass to a treasure trove of resources. But receiving the newsletter is not just about staying informed. It's also about getting our best content first. Subscribers get first access to our newest downloadable templates designed to propel your leadership and amplify your impact. And that's not all, my friend. We are constantly working on new ways to support you and your mission. So as a subscriber, you'll get updates on our latest projects, opportunities to participate in surveys, and a say in the topics that we tackle next. You will essentially get me as a consultant, coach, and confidant in your inbox, ready to help you navigate the challenges of nonprofit leadership. So if you're an executive director, board chair, or a nonprofit leader who believes in making a difference, join me as a newsletter subscriber. Visit SuccessfulNonprofits.com forward slash newsletter to sign up today. And now, friend, let me take you to the episode you've downloaded. Welcome to the Successful Nonprofits Podcast. I'm your host, Dolph Goldenberg. Today, we're going to be having a conversation with Maureen Walbioff about supporting users during that all-important, much-hoped-for CRM transition. Let me first, though, just give you a quick reminder that our next webinar is coming up, and our next webinar is actually scheduled for January 20th, 2022. The topic is everything you wanted to know about strategic planning, but were afraid to ask. We are opening up registration this week, so please make sure that you go up to SuccessfulNonprofits.com if you are thinking about strategic planning anytime in the next year. This is a great primer on what you should be thinking about as you prepare to do the plan. The other thing I just want to make sure folks know is that we're going to be offering a book club in 2022. And that book club, it's really my favorite leadership management nonprofit books. We're going to be launching it probably spring 2022. Just something else to be on the lookout for on our website. And now let me remind you a little bit about Maureen Wabioff. And I say remind you because Maureen has been on the podcast before. And this conversation is actually a continuation of when she was on episode 164. Because if you recall that episode, we talked about how to pick out the right CRM for your organization. And in this episode, we are going to be talking about how to support users during CRM transitions. Maureen is an accidental techie who created a consulting practice to help other accidental techies. Because let's face it, very few of us, when we got to the nonprofit world, said, you know what I think I'm going to do? Databases. Now, there are some people that went into IT that thought that, but not many of us in the nonprofit world thought, I'm going to specialize in databases. And so Maureen works with all these accidental techies, people who somehow ended up in a role where they're managing databases. And you know, everybody needs support. Everyone needs coaching and help every now and then. And that's what Maureen does in her work. Hey, Maureen, welcome to the podcast. 
It's great to be here. I've been looking forward to this all week, Dolph. Thanks for having me back. Awesome, awesome. And in preparing for our episode and our recording session today, I know you had shared with me kind of an an interesting story about an organization that acquired a database and, you know, had high hopes for the database and by all measures should have been quite successful. But the transition and implementation of the new database was an utter failure. Can you share a little bit about that? Sure. You know, they had the leadership and the board had kind of picked this new CRM, this new database, and they were experiencing a lot of friction and trouble with their end users, the staff, the folks who are expected to use this new system to do their jobs more efficiently and effectively. And it was not happening on its own. So I got hired to sort of do a little investigation and put the pieces together. And I was interviewing the database manager who pretty quickly during our meeting got very emotional, kind of burst into tears. And I let her sit with that for a couple of minutes. This happens. Technology makes us feel feelings. I get it. And what I learned was that she and her peers, the end users, the power users of the CRM, were not consulted at all during the evaluation and selection process. And it turns out that their business processes and the number of people that they had on staff just were not a good match for the system that the leadership brought in. Nobody did this on purpose. It happens all the time, but it really would have meant hiring multiple new staff people with different training and different sets of responsibilities for this new database to actually fly inside the organization. And I had to go back and make those recommendations to the leadership. You needed to get different voices in the room, different perspectives, when you were deciding which tool to go with. And it happens all the time. And so how did the organization resolve that? Did they hire significantly more people to run the database? Did they switch to a different one? How did they resolve that? Yeah, the recommendation that I made, first of all, was that everybody needed to get a room and into a room and talk this out. Um, everybody had to just air their grievances and sort of feel like they were heard. And then there was enough space in people's heads to sort of take another stab at this. They wound up hiring actually um, an expert partner to really help them get over the hump, to look at what was happening, maybe fill some gaps, do a little bit of just-in-time training. And yes, they did wind up hiring two full-time staff last year to actually uh, get the thing to do the things that they had expected it to be able to do. So it was a happy ending, but it was more expensive They hadn't budgeted for that. And I was very appreciative that the leadership saw the value in my recommendation and wanted to solve that problem, not put it back on the staff as their problem to solve. And I also just have to reflect more expensive on the operating line item. So, you you know, year in, year out, you have to have those two people if you're going to get the return on the investment from that database. Exactly. And, you know, no fault of the leadership, they didn't ask the right questions. They didn't think to ask those questions. And as you've said, we've all been there. (laughs) This is a great equalizer. It is. And listeners, we had a little bit of a tech issue. So we, we restarted right after the welcome. And so one of the things that we, that Maureen and I talked about is, um, 
I was shaking my head in, in kind of empathy because as a leader, I mean, gosh, I've made that mistake. Thankfully, not a lot, but I have made that mistake where I rush ahead with a decision without making sure all of the stakeholders, you know, first of all, have input, but second of all, understand like when we have those meetings, they understand, do they have a voice? Do they have a vote or do they have a veto? And really just being clear about what their role is, but making sure that we hear it. Yeah, it's a mistake you only make once, usually, usually. And, you know, to go back to our topic around change management, this is where user buy-in either has an easier time or a more challenging time. If I feel like you haven't really taken what I need into consideration for me to be successful at my job, I might have a bit of a tone or a bit of a chip on my shoulder when it comes time for me to actually start using this new tool. Yeah, and, and it might not even be intentional sabotage. I mean, it could yep. even be completely unintentional sabotage, but you just think, well, I wouldn't have bought this and it just won't, it won't do it. As opposed mm-hmm. to, okay, you know, I would not have bought this database, but how do I figure out a workaround or how do we get more resources? It had a suppressive effect on solution development, <laughs> let's just say. Yeah, yeah. So so let's talk about that transition period. How do how do organizations ensure, because I see this all the time, organizations select a new CRM, and then they've got some bumps in the transition itself. So how do they ensure they have a smooth transition? From a people perspective, from your team's perspective, I think uh, identifying super users, you know, the folks who are going to need to weigh in on do we have a checkbox or a radio button? You know, those mm-hmm. kinds of decisions. There's so many of them when you're setting up a new CRM. I also think you need to know your people. You need to know what kind of attitudes towards change people are bringing in with them. And I find there's four different types of people. There's explorers. Those are the astronauts. They're all about the risk. They mm-hmm. don't care. They want to be the first ones in. And everybody should have an explorer as part of your CRM migration team internally, somebody who's going to just look around the corner and be okay. Then you've got pioneers, and those pioneers will kind of come second. You know, they know the astronaut has gone and come back, Mm -hmm. so they're going to be the second ones in the rocket. So you've got to have those folks. They are okay with some risk. They're okay with learning and puzzling it out. Um, They don't need a ton of support. And then you have settlers, you know, those are the third folks in. They want to have a town. Roads can be unpaved, but they want enough structure so that they know their place. Some things have already been pre-figured out Mm -hmm. for them. And they do need a greater amount of support than the explorers and the, uh, the pioneers do. And then finally, you have the suburbanites. Those are people who don't want to make any decisions They want it to just work. And so you have to take their perspective into consideration, but maybe not necessarily get them to weigh in on a bunch of decisions. Um, Those need to be made maybe a little bit more upstream. And those suburbanites are going to need more support, documentation, training than some of the groups that tend to like change a little bit more than the suburbanites do. Does that help? I do. I love those archetypes and how they respond to change. It's true. And and I think the other thing every team should take into consideration when they make a CRM or a database change is realistic expectations. 
So you've got folks who have been using a system for years in some cases. They don't have to think about it very much. It's like muscle memory. It's kind of like when you drive home sometimes and you don't know how you got there because your mind was off somewhere else. So that's how we approach our tasks most of the time when we know a system. We have to unlearn some things. That means it's going to take longer. A report, a task that I used to be able to do in five minutes without even thinking about it might take me 30 minutes, 40 minutes in a new system. So making sure that leadership has realistic expectations about how long it's going to take to do something in the new system and give your team that grace. Don't expect it to be like flipping a switch. And let me also say, if it's a report you don't run every day, if it's a report you run once a month, it might take you six or eight months because a month later, you're like, how did I do that again? And then you're fumbling around trying to figure it out. And I have been there. Oh, yeah. And you have to sell this. You have to sell the change. Some people are going to be really excited about it because they're explorers and they like change. They like to mix it up. Other people are going to be either overt or covert resistors. And so knowing that that's just how people react to change naturally, even good changes, we resist going to the gym, good change, hard habit to get into sometimes for some of us. So you just have to know that people are going to bring themselves to these scenarios And while you don't want anybody who's saying, I will not log into that thing, you can't make me, um, you also need to just recognize that people are going to have different perspectives and may take a little more bringing along. And the support includes things like training and documentation, the stuff that we would normally provide. But the, the secret sauce to change management is listening and being ready to hear what's hard, what somebody doesn't like, where they're struggling without judging them and helping to remove those barriers and solve those problems. You can't pretend they're not there. So I think some of the places we get stuck as leaders and managers are with those folks that are overt resistors and those folks that are covert resistors. And I'll also say, I almost think the overt resistors are easier to, to deal with. So why don't we start with them before we talk about the really tough ones? And those are the people you have to realize they're resisting. Yeah. They, and you can tell, <laughs> I don't have to tell anybody how to pick up on those signals. They're overt, right? It's easy to see. Those overt resistors, you just need to give them a forum to, to let it out. You don't want them to take 12 months to let all that stuff out, but you have to kind of tell them what's in it for them. At the other side of this change, we expect that you're actually going to be able to do higher level work. You won't need to enter data into three places anymore, for example. We all want to know what the benefit to us is when a change is at hand. So that can really help with uh, overt resistors. You can also match them up with a super user, somebody who's sort of not as upset about this change and buddy them up. Because information on, from on high down to, let's say, a database manager or a data entry person is not going to resonate like their peer who's like, oh, I figured out a quick way to do this. Let me show you that collaborative support 
from within their peer group really goes a long way with overt resistors as well. Admittedly, I'd not thought about that, like pairing them off and buddying them up with someone who's really on board and like, yeah, I love this. Yeah, it's a different sell <laughs> than it is when your boss is like, hope hope you're in love with this system. It just, it just comes across. Exactly, different. yeah. Hope you're in love with the system because I am, we've already bought it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And there's the door, you know, right. if, if it doesn't work out. Right. Which, you know, is is not the best way to manage change, to mm-hmm. be like, well, that was my decision and there's a door, you could walk through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have made a decision, you have to be open to hearing feedback about that decision. I like that. I like that a lot. That, you know, we do poll quotes. That might be one of the poll quotes that we use because I like that. That goes across the board, not just you've made a decision around tech. If you make yeah. a decision, you've got to be open to feedback. Mm-hmm. So, so now let's talk about the harder, the harder ones, the folks that are covert. Because first, I guess you have to you have to figure out that they are covert resistors. Yeah, these are the people who will sit and nod on a Zoom meeting. Yep, sounds great, sounds really good, and then they're gonna go off and buzz to appear. You know, that's what I call it. It's like, can you believe? that they're expecting us to learn X, Y, or Z. I'm not a coder. This is too hard. The covert resistors, if you can identify them, it's usually because they are worried that they can't do it. Overt resistors are all about, is this change good for me or not? Covert resistors, it's coming from a place of self-doubt. I'm not going to be able to do my job well. I'm never going to be able to learn this. I'm not techie. And then they go to worst case scenario. I'm going to get written up. I'm going to get fired. And that's what they're bringing to the change is all of that worry. And so one way that I find um, can help to identify these covert resistors and kind of start the right conversation with them is to have one-on-one meetings, have one-on-one meetings with folks and, and say, you know, when we needed to decide to pick this thing, I had a lot of doubts. I'm curious, do you have doubts about using this and just sort of share your own worry about it? Don't minimize their worry. Just hear it Say and have faith, do some cheerleading, covert resistors need somebody to say, I have faith in you. Dolph, I know you're worried that this is all brand new. I promise I'm going to support you and I am here to listen and remove barriers as best as I can. It's a personal thing. Both of these resistors are resisting for personal reasons. I really like the way you delineate that. And it's interesting because as I think about archetypes for change, I think there's kind of two primary archetypes. One are folks that see change as opportunity, and the other set are people that see change as threat. And it's interesting because I've been in, over the course of my career, I've been in both camps where, you know, at times I'm like, oh my gosh, change is threat. At other times I'm like, change is opportunity. I will also own the fact that change feels far more like an opportunity when I'm in leadership than when I'm not in leadership. And I think we, those of us that are in leadership, have to recognize and understand that, yeah, it feels like an opportunity for us, but for other people, it feels more threatening. And I also think, Dolph, that right now when we're recording this, we've got some employment problems, you know? Like there are a lot of open jobs in nonprofit organizations right now, and people are taking advantage of 
an opportunity to look around and maybe move. And they might not have ever done that before. They've been there for 12 years and nobody expected them to leave. I think that you don't want to prevent change simply to retain staff. I would never recommend that. I think framing this as, listen, you've been here, you've got a lot of institutional knowledge and we need that. We need your input. It's about getting input during the conversion, new business rules, how's the data gonna live in this new system? Things that maybe you've lived with for a really long time, now you can fix. And the other thing is try not to create a new problem if you can. You know, like we want to fix these seven problems, but don't bring three new ones to me if you can possibly help it. And your frontline staff will tell you, they'll tell you, even if you have sort of pegged them as somebody who's a a squeaky wheel, they don't like any change at all ever. And you're sort of, you know, getting ready. When it's time to talk about another change, I know that Mary's going to have a problem with this. Just talk to Mary first. Mary's going to feel important. Then you can say, Mary and I talked about this and she raised these three really great points. Who else has comments or questions about this change? Make them your buddy. Bring them along. I love that, especially if you're kind of doing that publicly, obviously with the person's permission, because, mm-hmm. you know, then you're elevating them and they're like, okay, yeah, the, I was heard. I was heard and amplified. That's right. And my points or complaints or concerns are valid. Mm -hmm. That's that's a really elegant way to deal with some of that covert resistance. People use technology. So we spend a lot of time thinking about the technology and return on investment and how much we're paying and are we using enough of it? And do we have a good business relationship with the company? But we forget that people use technology. You could have the best system in the world and if you don't have people there to actually use it, it's worthless. So give as much time and thought to the people as you do this system. Oh my gosh, I love that. That might be a good place, first another great poll quote, but a good place for us to step out of this conversation and step into the off the map question. So um, I know that you kind of think of yourself as an accidental techie who works with accidental techies. And so as I think about this, imagine it's an alternate universe and, and this was not what you fell into. What's your career in that alternate universe? What are you doing? I'm a children's librarian, Dolph. That is what I am. I'm a big reader. I've worked in libraries. I've volunteered in libraries. And there's, to me, there's nothing better than getting a kid hooked on books. That's my nerd in me. That's my, I'm a technical person, but I also love print. And so I just would make learning and reading super fun. It would be the most fun kids library you could imagine. And I just, I think um, if you can get a kid to become a reader at a young age, it just, their life is a lot um, more interesting often. Oh my gosh. First of all, it's amazing to me that that required really no thought. It just rolled right off your tongue. I would be a children's librarian. And I've got to share with you and listeners, I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast. I grew up in a household um, where I was the son of a refugee and 
we did not have a lot of resources. And my parents were power users of the public library. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I really don't recall buying a book until I was certainly a teenager, maybe, maybe even college, but I really did not buy a book. Every now and then a, a book might be gifted to me, but no, it was always the public library from a very, very young age, including like all the programs and everything else. So it's funny because I kind of grew up at the public library. See, we, we all need it. Even today with our Kindles and our whatnots, go to your library, folks. That's like the pitch. Support your local library. Well, and I'll share with you, when I move and we move to a new county, which means a new public library system, there's all these things you got to check off. Okay, have I changed my address with the postal service? Have I changed my driver's license? Have I registered to vote? And in that list for me, there's not a lot, but in that list actually was, okay, I need to go get a new library card. So as soon as I have my hot new uh, driver's license in hand to prove that I live in the county, I went down to the library. And one of the things I've discovered is that my local library, I can actually get, I'm going to sound old, books on tape. They're not really, but they're audio books. Um, I can get those remotely. So I don't have to go in. Like I could be in another city and log in and be like, okay, I, I want this book and download it and listen to it. Yeah. And, and you know, libraries have more than, they're a great gathering place too, I find. It's a good sense of community there. But yes, um, kids' libraries, buy your kids' books. I love it. I love it. I love it. I also just will share with you really quickly. Um, you know, we batch record the podcast. I think we're recording five or six episodes. You were the second person to mention a library today. So the first person um, was talking about how she started her nonprofit. And she pretty much said, and it was a while back, she pretty much said, I just put out a notice that everyone who was interested in this particular organization should should come to the public library on XYZ date. And she checked out a room. And that was that's how she started her organization. So uh, it's interesting. Things are kind of coming together today. Well, Maureen, thank you so much for joining us. And I always, always, always need to make sure that our listeners know how to reach out to you. So listeners, you can go to meetmaureen.com at that website. She posts lots of free resources. And by the way, kind of like our website, I have mad respect for this. You don't need to sign up for her mailing list to get those resources. That's always my pet peeve. Oh, I'd love to get that worksheet. I click on it and then it's a psych. Nope. Register for our our email list first. So I love that at her website, she's pretty open source. Now, it would be great if you signed up for her email list, but nevertheless, you can get resources without being forced to do that. Also at that also at that website, you can purchase her new book that includes four helpful worksheets. And so it is Getting a Return on Your Nonprofit Technology Investment, a guide for nonprofit accidental techies. So you can check out more about the book right there at her website. And then the last thing, you know, you should really follow Maureen on Facebook. And it's facebook.com accidental techie. She has live, very helpful chats with nonprofit experts every single Friday. So if you're into Facebook Live, this is something you're going to be really excited about. Maureen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. As I said, yesterday was my birthday, and this was just my my extension of my birthday celebration. So thanks for having me here. It's always a pleasure. I love what you do, and I am an avid listener of your podcast as well as a somebody who comes on occasionally. So thanks for everything you do. Thank you and happy birthday and happy birth month. Thanks. All right, listeners, if for any reason 
you don't remember Meet Maureen tomorrow and you're like, oh, I know I heard a great, a great person on the podcast and I don't remember the URL, go to SuccessfulNonprofits.com. We'll have all the links, the Facebook page and the MeetMaureen.com and our show notes. I also want to make sure that you know, we've already mentioned she's been on the podcast before, but if you found this helpful, oh, you are really going to find helpful the episode where we talked about how to choose your next CRM, and that's episode 164. And additionally, a couple other ones that you might be interested in is episode 195 with Spencer Pollock. And Spencer is a cybersecurity attorney, and he came in and talked about how to prevent a data breach at your nonprofit. Because honestly, nothing could be worse than your donor database or your client database gets pierced. And suddenly you find yourself in a bad place, A, with cyber criminals, but also with people who entrusted their data to you. So make sure you check out episode 195. Finally, listeners, don't forget webinars coming up on Thursday, January 20th, and we're going to be covering everything you want to know about strategic planning, but we're afraid to ask. So make sure you go to our website and you can sign up for the webinar right there at SuccessfulNonprofits.com. That is our show for this week. I hope that you have gained some insight to help your nonprofit thrive in a competitive environment. And now, here's the disclaimer that I'm required to give. I'm not a lawyer nor an accountant, and neither I nor the Goldenberg Group provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. This show, really the entire podcast, every episode of it, is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. If you find yourself needing that type of specialty counsel, please find a licensed, qualified professional in the niche that you need and talk with them.